Welcome back, everybody, to another Weiss Camera Action. I am your host, Aaron Weiss, alongside the apple of my eye, Erica Weiss. Howdy, howdy. Apple of your eye, that's cute. Yeah, the apple of my eye. You know what? Apples are also one of my favorite fruits. There you go. And it's fall time. Yeah. And apples are the, what, what do they call it? Fruit of fall? Something like that. Fruit of fall they are indeed. <laughs> uh, if you're wondering why we're talking about apples and fruit, that's because, depending on when you're listening to this, we either are about to go apple picking with the peelers and the Seagraves, friends of the show, or we just got back from apple picking with the peelers and the Seagraves, and we, I'm sure we had a lot of fun. So, um, <laughs> depending on when you're listening to this, uh, it's fall, y'all. Yeah, it is. Um, and you know what? What better movie series for the fall than Harry Potter? Debatably Twilight. Debatably Lord of the Rings. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> anyway, no future spoilers. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, this week we are going over Half-Blood Prince, a.k.a. Year 6 of Harry Potter. And you know what? Erica, this book is my favorite Harry Potter book. Yes, I did know that about you. And I don't think I had fully fathomed it and appreciated it for what it was until I met you. And I don't think I know anyone other than you who says that Half-Blood Prince is their favorite book. It's definitely one that, for me, it comes before you know, the finale, and the finale is just so fantastic mm-hmm. that it, I guess it was hard for me to fully fathom how good this book is, but you're right. I mean, it's so good, and, you know, we'll get into it more, obviously, but I think we needed Voldemort's backstory before we were able to get into the biggest battle of, right. you know, fully trying to defeat Voldemort, which is, of course, what's going to happen in the finale, but... exactly. We needed we needed his backstory before we could get there, and I think that it was delivered in such a perfect way. And the method that they used to get his backstory was set up very well in the previous two books. Yes. So it's just great. Yes, exactly. And, you know, before we actually get too, too much into our analysis or reading the synopsis, let me just remind you that this is Weiss Camera Action, where each and every week... Each and every time we upload? Each and every time we upload, (laughs) Erica and I talk about uh, movies that we're watching. And right now, we just happen to be watching through the Harry Potter. And I know what you're thinking. You guys have been watching Harry Potter a really long time. And you know what? That's not exactly true, because... Uh, we started it on a previous watch through and then it just enough time passed that we started watching them again and now we're here pretty much so So if you are thinking that we've been watching harry potter for a long time the answer is kind of no but in a much more real sense it's kind of it's kind of yes so yeah uh if you want to be a part of the show email us at weisscastpodcast at gmail.com and you can send us your tweet reviews i'm gonna i'm gonna change the name to tweet reviews because i don't want People, people don't know what Darmok is. Um, mm. Also, you can support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash Weisscast, where that's about to be revamped. So be on the lookout for that. Let's get into it. So we've talked about, we've talked about 
the book a little. What did we think about the movie? Like, what, what do you feel about Half-Blood Prince? The movie, to me, is one that grew on me. And I had to find a way to take it less... I don't want to say less seriously, but I had to stop expecting the book when I watched the movie. So y'all may remember on my Goblet of Fire, when we did Goblet of Fire, that review, I kind of dug in on Goblet of Fire a little bit because not only is it one of those that isn't super faithful to the books, which I get, it's a very, very long book, so you can't make a movie that covers, you know, 750 pages, but even at that, the movie to me just falls flat. And I used to feel very similarly about the um, Half-Blood Prince movie because to me, it falls flat in terms of staying faithful to the story of, of the book. Um, but now that I've been able to get past that, I kind of think it's fun. It doesn't take itself too seriously at times. I feel like this is kind of the beacon of light in the very dark movies that are the last four or so. Um, it's more comedic. It is less... It's less all gloom and doom and more teenage romance and, um, you know, Daniel Radcliffe really kind of flexing his comedy chops and it's, you know, I just think it's a good one. Even though there are going to be moments that I am going to nitpick at for sure because I just don't understand why certain scenes happened. Yeah. You know, like what on earth the writers and directors were thinking putting that in the movie i honestly cannot figure it out but overall i i enjoy it a lot and you know i I look forward to watching it every time i watch it whereas for the fourth movie i'm like i'm only watching this because i have to not that i have to but i'm only watching it because i'm re-watching harry potter right now right right and you know kind of to your point about daniel radcliffe like this in a way this movie in a way, kind of foreshadows his career. Yeah, I agree. Uh, because he goes on and does many comedic roles. Mm-hmm. And um, he's about to come out with the w- weird, the Al Yankovic story, yep. the movie. And it's supposed to be really good. Apparently he's fantastic in it. I'm sure. And I'm, I'm very excited about that. He Daniel Radcliffe is so strong. I think... For me, he's the strongest part of this movie, like, of the three main characters, I think. Um, In previous movies, he's kind of outshined a little by, um, like, Emma Watson. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think, like, for me, uh, this movie is one where he just, like, really comes to his own as an actor. And it's really interesting that... I see it that way and you see it that way because Daniel Radcliffe himself does not see it that way. I was gathering some fun facts that we'll get to in a moment when we get to that segment of the show, but um, I've also heard this even before I was doing, you know, my research for the show today, but this is his least favorite movie of himself to watch in terms of the Harry Potter movies. Um, And I know that he has, like, Daniel Radcliffe in his past struggled with alcohol. Mm-hmm. And I think that this is one of those movies where um, in his personal life he was struggling a bit. And I think he sees that in himself when he watches it and he's not um, super pleased with his performance. 
in the movie, and I'm sure that has some reason as to why. Um, but I don't know. He's I, I've heard them say that he prefers his acting whenever it's a movie that. Um, um, oh my gosh, I'm blanking on his name. Gary Oldman is in because yeah. he thinks Gary Oldman just brings out a lot of good acting in himself. Mm-hmm. Um, and that this is just one of those movies that he doesn't think he's great in. Right, and then this is the first one in the last three movies that doesn't have Gary Oldman in it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm sure that also adds to uh, his thought process in this. And, you know, I think... I, I definitely have a lot of the same sentiment as you do. Like, there's so much in the book. Like, how could they, like, super faithfully reproduce it into a movie? Um, I think, for the most part, they did a good job... Um, I, For me, it's not what they took out from the book that bothers me. It's what they added to the movie. Mm, I don't mind that they left out certain facets of the book, but they just threw in some weird crap that I can't quite wrap my head around. Right. Which we'll get to in the synopsis. But Yeah. Yeah. And you know what? Let's, let's hop into fun facts and then we'll hop right into the synopsis. So yeah, Erica, give us some... Uh, Wingardium Faxiosas. I absolutely will. I cannot believe you just said that. Okay, um, so we get young Tom Riddle again in this movie. And fun fact number one is that Hero Finds Tiffin was cast as young Tom Riddle, age 11, and his uncle, Ralph Fiennes, plays Lord Voldemort, which is really cool to me. Um... Yes, so director David Yates says that he hired Hero because of his resemblance to his uncle, partially, but mainly because he thinks that the actor brings a dark, haunted quality to the role, which I totally agree. Um, But I think it does help that he does, you know, you can see a facial resemblance between him and um, Ray Fiennes. Fiennes, Did, I might have zoned out did you say that this is the older of the two younger voldemorts Mm -mm, it's the younger younger one okay so the one who says i can make i I can make people hurt yeah if i want (laughs) the creepy one yeah um well yeah that's really cool and that's actually kind of shocking because in my mind's eye the older the one that we catch up with at hogwarts Mm -hmm. Um, looks like Ray Fiennes to me. Like look, interesting. I, I don't think as much the younger one that's in the orphanage looks like Ray Fiennes to me. What I think about is it's kind of in the eyebrows and in the eyes. You know how if you see a picture of Ray Fiennes not as Voldemort, I mm-hmm. feel like in like his headshots he kind of has those like um like low eyebrows and those kind of like haunting eyes. I think yeah. that Rafe, um, I'm sorry, Hero finds Tiffin has that same kind of look to him. Hero is a pretty cool first name, not going to lie. Yeah, it is. And also, if you are a One Direction fan, you will probably know that Hero finds Tiffin um, played the role of Harden, aka Harry Styles, in the after movies. I have not personally seen the after movies, but to know that hero finds tiffin has played both voldemort and harry styles is quite hilarious to me that is really funny (laughs) that's actually hilarious 
All what right. else you got? Next fact. J.K. Rowling read through the script and found a line where Dumbledore mentions a girl he had a crush on when he was younger. And after reading it, she had to inform the filmmakers that Dumbledore is, in fact, gay. So this is the first movie. Or this movie, actually, is the catalyst of J.K. Rowling um, sharing with the world that she wrote Dumbledore as a gay character. Um which, I mean, people have their own views and opinions on that. If J.K. Rowling is, like, totally reaching and making her characters have qualities that she didn't write. And if she wanted a gay character, then write him being gay. And if other people think it's cool that she was just able to casually mention that and that she has such a deep understanding of her characters even beyond what she wrote on the pages. So, have your own opinion on it. Um, but anyways... The last fact that I have for everyone is that um, there are several Easter eggs that can be seen in the Room of Requirement as Harry and Jenny enter it to hide the Half-Blood Prince book. Um, one of them is the Mirror of Erised. You can actually see that in the background. And another one is the harp that was used to help Fluffy, the three-headed dog, sleep all the way back in the Sorcerer's Stone. And if memory serves correct, he literally had to move the diadem to hide the... In the book, yes. I don't okay. think that's a movie thing. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. But yes, in the book. It's like, oh, pff, screw this old this, oh, this me, crown. Yeah, <laughs> let me put this crown somewhere else and I'll put the book, you know, yeah. Um, which helped Harry actually find it. Uh, do you know what? We won't get there yet. Yeah, no future spoilers. No future spoilers. No future spoilers. Uh, but yeah, those are the three fun facts I have for y'all today. Well, thank you so much. We're going to get right into the synopsis. So... Picture this. Before the school year of 1996 and 1997, Harry Potter, age 16, went with Dumbledore... Harry Potter, age 12. Sorry, I had to do that. Go on, I'm so sorry. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Went with Dumbledore to the home of Professor Horace Slughorn, which is just a god-awful name. It is, but it couldn't be a more perfect name for this character. Yeah, yeah, and... I don't know if I want to get into this now, but I, I like love and hate the casting because I, I love the actor and I think he plays Slughorn well, but he does not look anything like the description mm. of Slughorn in the books. You're right. I mean, this guy, is, I mean, he's not exactly like thin, but I wouldn't call him like fat or portly, like yeah. how he's described in the or book. Or have that big walrus mustache. Yeah, he definitely does not have a mustache. Um, I kind of picture, picture Slughorn a little bit like how they cast Uncle Vernon. Yeah, I could see that for sure. Um, I think Vernon and Slughorn are actually described quite similarly. They are. And I think the only thing is that Slughorn is almost like a 40 year older version of, um, Vernon. Of Vernon, yeah. Yeah. And honestly, I think... That if they hadn't, like, I think they could have switched the castings almost, like, in the movie. No, because I think that, no, I think they could have and it would have been fine, but I don't think that would have necessarily been a better casting, because we basically just need two Vernon Dursleys. I think that, and that's not even to say that the actor who played Slughorn wasn't good, but I... I just don't think that it looks like how he's described. But also, I don't really mind. Yeah. I think that 
Umbridge doesn't look how she's described either. She's supposed to look like an ugly toad. And I think that the actress that plays Umbridge is kind of a cutie, you know? Yeah, but so she also, like... she's like a cute toad, not an ugly toad. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like Not really. Like, I don't know. I just... When I think of a toad, I think of not at all what Umbridge looks like in the movies. Yeah. I just don't I just don't really mind the casting. There's other, you know, weird casting choices and weird costuming and hair choices made throughout the rest of the yeah. movies that I just don't really I don't really mind when the character doesn't look true to how they're supposed to be in the book as long as the vibes are the same. And I'm getting the same vibes. Yeah, you're right. I just think it would have been cool to see Richard Griffiths as Slughorn. Okay, yeah. Uh, No, I agree. Honestly, they might have not even had to flip the casting. Like, at all. Like, they wouldn't... I don't remember the guy's name that played Slughorn. But, um, like, he wouldn't necessarily have had to play Vernon Dursley from the beginning. Um, But it would be kind of cool if they gave Richard Griffiths that part for the movie. So he played both Vernon Dursley Mm -hmm. and, like you know, did some makeup or digital work to make him look even older for playing Slughorn. That would be really That would have been pretty cool. Uh, I think it might have ended up being confusing for more casual Harry Potter viewers who were like, wait, why, what, what? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, actors play two, two completely different characters in movies all the time. Yes, I mean, they did the same thing for, um, um... Oh my gosh, who played um, Grip Hook and um, Flitwick? Oh yeah, uh, Warwick Davis. Yes, thank you. But I think that was able to work because they gave him an entirely new prosthetic face to play Grip Hook, mm-hmm. and he looked more like himself for Flitwick. Um, so I don't know. I feel like they would have had to pretty much give that actor a whole new prosthetic face in order for it to not be obvious that it's the same person. And I think that would be the confusing aspect Mm -hmm. for casual viewers of the movies to think that why is this person now playing that person? There's been so much, like, polyjuice potions, someone pretending to be someone else, that kind of thing. You know what I mean? I think it would have ended up being more confusing. Like, wait, so how is Harry's muggle uncle now a professor? I think it would have just ended up being confusing. Yeah. But I agree. He would have been great for the role. I agree with that part of yeah. it. I just had a crazy idea. What is it? What if... What if he had um, multiple personalities disorder? Like uh, Uncle Vernon. And his alter... His other personality was Slughorn. Like uh, this great wizard. Who like pretty well known and famous. And... Like, wouldn't that just be insane? Yes. But that's just the thing, is that we know too much about Vernon Dursley's personality to know that, like... I don't know. Well, I mean... In I the... just don't think he is at all understanding of anyone who is quote-unquote different to so someone who has, like... Uh... Well, that's the beautiful thing about movies. Like, in in movie logic... Um, multiple personality disorder uh, does not like no one they don't know anything about their other personalities oh movie logic like in real life they might 
know or get an expl like explanation or whatever. Um, but in movies, they have no idea. I don't think. But we're we're literally just grasping at straws right now and creating our own fan fiction. Yeah, well, I was going to say I also don't think that people with multiple personalities like black out of their other personalities when they are in a different persona. Uh-huh. I think that they're always aware of the other, like they're called quote unquote headmates. I think that you're always aware of the other people who are yeah the other personalities. I should say that you have in your brain exactly. And, and so, but but of course, movies like to make it seem crazier than yeah, it is. Yeah. And well, we are so off topic. <laughs> yeah, and you know what? That was only one sentence in the synopsis. Sorry, folks. Let's keep going. Um, Harry and Dumbledore go to the home of Professor Slughorn. He was hiding and agrees to return to teach potions at Hogwarts. Dumbledore fixes the damage in the home. Later, he takes Harry to the burrow, where Harry is again reunited with his best friends Ron Weasley and Hermione Granger, as well as Ron's younger sister, Ginny. I love this scene. When they're all poking their head from, like, up the stairs. Mm-hmm. And the burrow is just, like, such a tall, narrow house. So, like, Ron pokes his head out and is like, is Harry here? And then, like, you know, they all, like, Hermione's head from, like, a couple stories up pokes her head out. Like, did I hear an owl? Like, it's just really funny. So, um, yeah, I like that scene a lot. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's a really good scene. Um, Harry states that he believes Voldemort m- made Draco, like Draco's father, a Death Eater. Ron and Hermione are skeptical. Aw. They skipped a whole scene that made Harry think that. Oh. The he, scene when they go to Diagon Alley and they get to see Fred and George's joke shop. Oh, yeah. And then they follow Draco and that's what makes Harry believe that. Mm-hmm. The joke shop is awesome. Yeah, the joke shop is awesome. It's such a cool set. Weasley wizard wheezes. Hey, how much for this? Five galleons. But how I'm much a... for me? Five galleons. <laughs> but I'm your brother. Ten, Ten galleons. galleons. <laughs> on the train, Hogwarts Express, Harry eavesdrops on Draco using the invisibility cloak. He lies on the baggage shelf, hoping Draco did not notice. Once the train arrives and the students, including Ron and Hermione, exit, Draco uses Petrificus Totalis on the invisible Harry. He pulls off the clo- cloak and stomps on Harry's nose, which literally looks like the most painful thing like, I can't imagine just someone just stomping oh, on my face like that. I have and, broken my nose before, given I was a baby and I don't really remember it that much. But I have. And I just know, like, that feeling of the crunch of the nose is just... Uh, like, and to have someone stomp on your face, <laughs> I can't even imagine. And it, I mean, it's different than, like, running into a door frame or whatever. Or, or jumping like, off the couch and slamming your yeah, face onto the coffee table. Or even <laughs> a punch. It's different than a punch, yeah. too. Because it has, like, that downward. Uh, and, uh, just... I, I feel like Harry should be dead. You know what I mean? Oh, my gosh. Like, I feel like his skull should have cracked. Yeah, exactly. Because yeah. um, in the movie... I feel like it's a couple kicks or a couple. Mm, it's just one. It's just but, the one. But the weight of it and the sound of the crunch is so bone chilling. You feel like you just watched someone get stomped on multiple times. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And Draco covers him saying, enjoyed the ride back to London. After Draco is gone, Harry's close friend, Luna Lovegood, 
rescues him with the finite incant oh finite incantat incantatum spell. There you go. Finite incantatum. I don't know why I thought it was pronounced differently than that. Uh, this ends Draco's curse. She was able to find him due to his head being full of rat spurts. <laughs> they <laughs> were off to the schools. Your head's full of them. <laughs> Gosh, I love Luna. They walk back to school, and, and Luna is like, oh, do you want me to fix your nose? I know the spell. And Harry's like, oh, have you ever fixed a nose before? And Luna's like, no, nah, but I've done a few toes, and how different are they, really? Poughkeepsie. <laughs> yeah, and she uh, fixes his nose, and the bone is fixed, but he still is covered in blood. So yeah. it's just a funny scene where she says, no, nah, but I've done a few toes, so, yeah. you know, <laughs> want me to guinea pig for my first nose? Later, Dumbledore announces that Snape is now defense against the dark arts teacher at Hogwarts due to Slughorn resuming his position as potions master. He explained that students were searched when they entered because of safety now that Voldemort is powerful again. This is like the shock of the century that Snape finally got to be defense against the dark arts, especially at a time when Voldemort is powerful again. And many students, Harry included, believe that Snape still can't be trusted even though Dumbledore trusts him Mm -hmm. he's like we don't know for sure that Snape is on our side we know he used to be a Death Eater why do we believe he's not still a Death Eater this is so foolish how can he be teaching us defense against the dark arts exactly it's really intense wild scene and the tensions are so high in this book and movie as to where Snape's allegiance truly is at right it just this move of making him DADA teacher does such a great job in heightening that mm-hmm. tension. It really does. At school, Harry and Ron have to borrow the needed textbooks for Slughorn's potions class because they don't have their own yet. Harry's copy is inscribed on by the Half-Blood Prince. This owner annotated the book with additional instructions, spells, and recommendations that Harry that allow Harry to excel in the class. Dumbledore shows Harry memories of a young Tom Riddle in the orphanage. He... Yeah. I'm sorry, I don't want to interrupt you. I just wanted to include a important note about the Half-Blood Prince book. Yeah. Which is that Harry gets it. It's full of all of these, you know, um, add-ins that someone hand wrote in about how to, you know, do potions and make them better and stuff. Well, Harry uses that book to brew the potion that's assigned to them the first day of class, and he does such a good job that Slughorn awards him with um help me out awards him with um, felix felices yes and that's an important note to make because that will come back into play several more times throughout the movie yes it will and um this is the first time harry's ever done like exceptionally well in potions yeah he's always been you know decent like able to get by yeah he even gets a e on his owl which mm-hmm. is the it's basically the equivalent of a b which yeah. is good you know yep. Yep, yep. um anyway um dumbledore shows harry's memories of a young tom riddle in the orphanage he was raised in and reveals that slughorn retains a memory critical to voldemort's defeat Ron becomes keeper of the Gryffindor Quidditch team and forms a romantic relationship with Lavender Brown, leaving Hermione disconsolate. (laughs) Harry consoles Hermione, revealing that he now has feelings for Ginny. 
Harry spends the Christmas holidays with the Weasleys. On Christmas Eve, Bellatrix Lestrange and Finmir Greyback set fire to the burrow. Back at school, oh. Ron is nearly killed by a poisoned mead, a drink originally intended for Dumbledore. Can we stop here really quick sure and talk about that scene at the burrow where Bellatrix and Fenrir show up and just set everything on fire? Yeah. I'm so sorry, but that makes literally no sense. Because if they know that, I mean, what, like, the whole point of Harry being able to go to the borough for Christmas is because that's a safe place for him, and they know that they can put up protections around the borough to keep him and the Weasley family away from Voldemort and Death Eaters. Yep. So the fact that Death Eaters are able to get there, you know. It's insane. And Harry runs out to try to stop them. What was stopping them from just touching their dark mark and having Voldemort come right then and there to get Harry? I mean, that scene, I mean, that's one of the reasons why I did not like this movie for so long. Because this scene doesn't happen in the book. And it happening in... I thought I thought they came, but they didn't destroy the house. No. They didn't come at all? No. Mm. Because who does come, actually, is Percy and the Minister of Magic. Yes. They both show up at Christmas time at the borough and um but that makes so much more sense. sense. Yep. Because Percy is like, Hey, I'm coming home and of course his parents are thrilled to see him because he's been kind of um not disowned, but he kind of I mean, Percy disowned his family. His family didn't disown him, I guess. Yeah. So they're happy to see him, but he's only there. With the excuse of bringing the minister for the minister to try to convince Harry to kind of be the poster boy of the resistance. Mm-hmm. And Harry is very discontent with the ministry, so he decides not to do it. But that's the scene that happens at the borough at Christmas time in the book. Right. Not the Death Eaters showing up and having access to Harry. And what does Bellatrix do? Burn down the Weasley's house instead of trying to capture Harry to bring him to Voldemort. I mean, it makes no sense. It's basically just... A fun midpoint it's like battle action, yeah. for no reason other than the movie needing another action scene because it had been kind of slow and actionless up until that point. Right. Um, and I and, don't mind it being actionless up until that point because we could have had a big battle scene at the end to make yeah, up for it, which would have been the awesome. The astronomy tower. Astronomy tower. Yeah, yeah. it would have been awesome, but... Anyways, I could just go on about how much I dislike this scene. This scene to me is what makes this movie... It, the movie could have been excellent, and to me this knocks it down a bit. Yeah, I I knew that you didn't love this movie as much as... I mean, obviously I don't... I don't we, we haven't gotten to it yet, but like I love the book way more than yeah. the movie. And I don't... I don't think I completely knew the reason why this scene specifically, but you're right. It makes it makes absolutely no sense if you think about it. And thinking, like, I mean, how long do you think this sequence lasts? Like five, ten minutes? Something like that. If they had cut this and done the astronomy tower battle mm. a little, like, a little better, a little more, more fleshed faith, out, more fleshed out, like that. Really, that I mean, honestly, this would probably be my number one movie. Mm-hmm. If they had done that. Mm-hmm. I agree. Um, and also, the last two movies had been PG-13. And this movie is randomly PG. Yes, it is. And 
Well, like, based on the book, this movie should not be PG. Like, yeah, you know, I mean, it should be at least PG-13. Like, it, there's some real graphic violence in the book yeah. that we just don't see in the movie. And we, I, I'm not saying that I, I have... I have to see Fenrir being Fenrir, but like as long as it's implied, that would be cool. You know what I yeah. mean? Like if I saw him about to attack Bill Weasley, I'd be yeah. like, "Oh shoot, I know it's about to happen." Instead, we just see Bill in the next movie with a big scratch on his face, and he's like, "Yeah, look what happened to me, guys." Anyway, and that's it. Yeah, yeah. Crazy thing. I was on my way to work and I got mugged. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, anyway, so I just wanted to make sure we had a second to talk about that scene before we moved on to the next one. Oh, because, oh. I mean, that scene to me is just... It's like an unforgivable... And it's also <laughs> the scene where Jenny bends down to tie Harry's shoe. That's yep. how that scene kicks off. Yep. And she just goes, shoelace. I was like, don't put Jenny in this movie just for her to be boring. I know. Like, it's, I we were talking about this earlier, actually, about how... I don't necessarily mind that Ginny is more of a background side character in the movies, whereas in the books, she's like a total badass front mm-hmm. and center, in the, especially in the last three or so right. books. You know, she's really a prominent, very there character. Um, and it's not really like that in the movies, which I don't really mind, but I don't want her and Harry's flirting to be so stupid to the point where she just says, shoelace. <laughs> It's like, at least <laughs> have her do something a little more. Like, that was so silly. So, yeah, and whatever. we were also talking about how people blame the actress and not, like, the writing oh, or the direction. Oh, totally not. You can be the coolest, most amazing actress in the world, but if your line is shoelace, I'm so sorry. Yeah, There's not much to do with that. They, they could have literally gotten someone who's done leading roles like Emma Stone or, you know, whoever, and Ginny wouldn't have been any better in yeah, the movies. Yeah, I agree. Like, I agree. They could have gotten a name for the role, and um, Bonnie Wright's great. I I really do think she's exactly who I like would Im- imagine in the books for Ginny. Oh, I think she to me she is Ginny. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, the writing and direction wasn't always great for her. Yeah, I agree. Um, Which I don't usually mind again. Right. I'm like, okay, I get we can't have we can't we can't always have exactly what we want from mm-hmm. the books. But to make her say. Shoelace. I just don't think I'll ever remember no. that. Yeah. Goofy, goofy, goofy. Anyway. Well, the, also, this synopsis left out a pretty important part. It's, uh, they're at, um, Hogsmeade and, um, Katie Bell. Mm. Um, yes, yes, gets yes, yes. The, gets the, uh, cursed necklace. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, has a near-death experience, mm-hmm. quite literally. And, um... Which is kind of the first sign that something, someone is starting to get to Dumbledore. Uh-huh. Because when she's finally able, no, her friend that's with her says, I don't know where she got this necklace from, but she was insistent on getting it to Dumbledore. Mm-hmm. So she was cursed. She was imperious. Yep. We don't know by who, but she was imperious into believing that she had to give this cursed necklace to Dumbledore. Mm-hmm. And if you fully touch the necklace, it will kill you. But what happened is that she touched it through her like, hand that had and she like had mittens paper. on yeah she had mittens on so it didn't fully give her the full mm-hmm. effect of it but she was still cursed and in the hospital for a month or something like that but it didn't fully kill her but this is the first sign that someone is trying to kill dumbledore and i bring that up because we just 
read about the poisoned mead. Yeah, so let's get to um, that. Yeah, the poisoned mead was not too long after this. Yes. It was the second attempt on Dumbledore. Um, so Harry spends Christmas holidays with the Weasleys on Christmas Eve. Bellatrix, Lestrange, and Fenrir Greyback set fire to the burrow. We just talked about how much we hate that scene. Back at school, Ron is nearly killed by poisoned mead. You know what they say. If you're underage, don't drink. But um, he got the mead from a teacher. <laughs> I know. Originally intended for Dumbledore. While recovering, Ron murmurs Hermione's name, causing his breakup with Lavender. I love that that broke them up. I know. Like, honestly, what a what a badass way to break up with someone. Just like, you're not even in your own mind. You're just like... Thinking about your crush and you yeah. accidentally tell your girlfriend who you don't like that you're thinking yep. about another girl. Yep. Yeah. Um, and this is great because this is what ends up mending Ron and Hermione's friendship and Ron doesn't even know it. Yeah. And from then on, Hermione just stays by Ron's side, Mm -hmm. like holding or holding his hand, checking on him, making, making sure like Mm -hmm. it's, it's a really sweet scene. And it's the scene that gives Hermione that hope that, you know, eventually they will end up together. Yeah. I just think it's really sweet. Mm -hmm. And Ron, and it's the best because Ron would never have had the guts to tell her that he liked her, you know? So it's just kind of a sweet thing that he was able to tell her in a way that he didn't have to have the guts to do mm-hmm. it. He didn't even know that he did it. It's just, it's cool. Yeah, subconscious. Woo! Yeah. We love it. <laughs> um, yes, Harry confronts Draco in the same bathroom where the Chamber of Secrets is, right? Isn't that the same? No way, is it? Is it not? It's a bathroom. But oh my gosh, it is. It's Moaning Myrtle's bathroom. Because yeah, in the book, Draco ends up confiding in Moaning Myrtle about yep. how mm. scary his life has been recently. Uh-huh. So you're absolutely right. I totally yep. forgot about that. Same bathroom where the Chamber of Secrets is. Um, confrontation. And injures, Harry injures Draco with Sectumsempra, uh, a curse that was taken from the textbook of the Half-Blood Prince. Snape suddenly enters and quickly heals Draco's wounds, fearing... The book may be filled with more dark magic. Ginny and Harry hide it in the room of requirement and share their first kiss. Bow chicka bow wow. Boy, was it just an average kiss. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, the, the sparks were not flying. Th- there was more sparks for uh, Harry and Cho, I think. No, Harry and Cho's kiss was pretty bad. Too. You think it was worse? I mean, for Harry and Cho's kiss... They're, like, trying to have, like, a long, passionate kiss, but, like, their hands are by their side, and they're just, like, like, it's just an awkward teenage kiss. As I feel like this one between Harry and Ginny, it's still an awkward teenage kiss, but I don't think it's quite as awkward as Harry and Ginny. Yeah, it's not the best kiss in the in the movies. We'll we'll get to that in the next in the next couple movies, I think. But yeah, um, I also think it just kind of shows that, like, we're not supposed to be mainly focusing on Harry's romantic side right. because that's not really. I don't want to say it's not important to him, but I don't see it as something that's central to him as a character. Now, that might be a controversial take because in the book, him and Ginny's first kiss is a huge, powerful moment for him. Mm -hmm. And it's, like, actually quite central to what's on his mind in that book. But I think that that works because the book is able to flesh that out a lot more. I think if he were randomly to have a huge, like, romantic moment in the middle of this movie where the movie wasn't able to flesh out as much, it would have been maybe a little bit 
weird. I think yeah. that him just having like a quick, oh, a quick kiss with Jenny makes more sense because the movie couldn't fully flesh out all of his feelings from the beginning like the book could. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yes. Yes, it makes total sense. Um, Harry succeeds in retrieving uh, the memory from Slughorn. I think more things were skipped, but I don't really care. Um, (laughs) Harry succeeds in retrieving the memory from Slughorn. Well, which happens because of the Felix Felicis. They've left out the Felix Felicis this whole time. Oh my god! They left out that Harry pretended to give it to Ron so he could win the Quidditch match. They leave out that he took it in order to get the memory from Slughorn. Right, alright. Let's actually talk about that real quick. Because this synopsis is actually pretty bare bones and or bad. Um, Which is okay. We still love you, Harry Potter fan wiki. Thank you very much. Yes, thank you to the author, whoever wrote this. You're great. You just left out a bunch of key stuff. Okay? Get it together. Um, well, you're, he's writing a synopsis about a movie, which is a synopsis about a book. So yeah. when you think about it, we're going to get to pretty bare bones by the that's, end of it. That's fair. But yeah, the Felix Felicis, I, I can't say it. Um, that's good enough. Get, liquid Luck. Let's just call it that. It's so much easier it so to much say easier. Liquid Luck. The Liquid Luck, um, Harry fakes giving Ron some of it to win a Quidditch match after they had lost terribly in their first match, right? It was something like that. Um, also, Ron was, like, about to throw up and quit the team because yep. he was so freaking nervous. Mm-hmm. Um, and Harry was like, I'm just going to pretend to give him some, and hopefully that will trick him into thinking he is lucky and make him play better. Because Ron really does have the skills to be a good Quidditch player. It's just his nerves that make yep. him so bad. So that's what gave Harry the idea to... Not really do it because that would be illegal and kind of a waste of potion Mm because he knows it's just Quidditch and Voldemort's back, so he might need it for more important things later. Um, Yeah, so that's the first time it's quote-unquote used. It's not really used, but that's the first time that... We think it's used. We think it's used. Yeah, and then later, Harry uses a sip of it Mm -hmm. um, for a few... It's a... I think the whole vial is like 12 hours worth, Mm -hmm. and I think he uses enough for... Like two or three hours. Or yeah, I was going to say three or six, but I think it's three. Okay. Um, uses enough for three hours worth of luck. Um, just takes a sip, so roughly a quarter of the vial. And um, Ron and Hermione are like, okay, great. Now that you've had some, you're going to go straight to Slughorn's office, right? And yeah. Harry's like, nope. I'm going to go see Hagrid. Going to Hagrid's. I just have a really good feeling. He's like, I think it's the place it's to be, be tonight. Yes. You know what I mean? And this is this is the scene where we see Harry or um Daniel, Daniel Radcliffe's Radcliffe. comedy chops, comedic yeah. chops. Um because he's he's just being very whimsical and kind of like almost like overacting in a comedic way. But, but it works. It it works because this is exactly how it's described mm-hmm. in the book. Like it like not a better portrayal I could have been done, I think. I know. He just is confident, almost to the point of being cocky, mm-hmm. where he's on his way to Hagrid's. He's like, oh, would you look at that? Slughorn is over here at the greenhouse. I'll go stop by and see what he's doing. And, um, you know, he stops by, they talk for a second, and Slughorn is like, um, you have to get back to the castle. And Harry's like, uh, yeah, no thanks. I'm actually just going to go see Hagrid. And Slughorn is like, Harry? And Harry's like, sir? <laughs> <laughs> and Slughorn's like, I cannot let you go 
out of the castle unaccompanied in the middle of the night. And Harry's like, okay, then come along. Yeah. Then I won't be unaccompanied. Duh. It's like he's so just... As a matter of fact. Yeah. Just like talking off the cuff. Mm-hmm. Doesn't really care about authority at all. Yep. Which he doesn't usually care about authority that much. But he would listen to a teacher usually. Right. Yeah. Especially one that he respects like Slughorn. Yeah. Or he's supposed to respect because he yep. knows he has to get the memory from him yep. and all that. So. Um, but yeah, they end up hanging out with Hagrid. Mm-hmm. And they have a funeral for Aragog. The giant spider um, the from giant sp- book two. Yeah, R.I.P. <laughs> and then uh, <laughs> Slughorn is like, hey, you think I could get some of his venom? It's uh, pretty e- valuable. Pretty valuable. Um, and, and so, he's like, only for scientific purposes. Though. Of course, of course. <laughs> um, so he gets a few vials of that, and then they have like a little funeral where Slughorn actually says something very beautiful like about, and it's like, it's very like generalized mm-hmm. like it could be said at pretty much any funeral yeah but it's also just it's very eloquent it's like though his body may decay his spirit will live on yep. through his family and those who loved him yep which yeah could really apply at almost any funeral yep. but it sure does make hagrid cry mm-hmm. and it sets the tone and then then hagrid and slughorn get to drinking and they get drunk and um harry is finally able to get the um, the memory from Slughorn, mm-hmm. and this is this is what we've missed. I mean, this is we're caught up now. Harry succeeds in retrieving the memory and learns that Voldemort wanted information for creating seven Horcruxes. Two of Voldemort's Horcruxes have already been destroyed: Tom Riddle's diary and Marbolo Gaunt's ring. After discovering the possible location of another Horcrux, Harry and Dumbledore travel to a seaside cave where Harry is forced to make Dumbledore drink a painful potion that hides one of the Horcruxes, a locket belonging to Salazar Slytherin. A weakened Dumbledore defends them from Inferi, and they apparate back to Hogwarts on the Astronomy Tower, which they had left, where Bellatrix, Greyback, and more Death Eaters have entered with Draco's help through the Vanishing Cabinet. So all along in this movie, Draco is going to the Room of Requirement, using this vanishing cabinet, trying to make an apple go from one side of the cabinet. And it just to briefly explain the vanishing cabinet, most of them have two cabinets and how it works. It's kind of like a magical channel kind of between the two cabinets. You can send mm-hmm. one thing from one cabinet to the other, and it can be mm-hmm. in entirely different locations. But there can only be two. There's only, like... I don't think that you can have like a network of them. It's not. Like I don't think so. Network. I don't think so either. Yeah, I think you're right about that. Yeah, it, it picture picture like the like phone cup phones or whatever, like where you get like the paper cups and like a string mm. and connect them. Right, right, right. It, it has to be like that. Yeah. Um, and all along, you know, Draco's been trying to get the like an apple, for example, to go from the cabinet in the room of requirement to one in some unknown location. And then for it to come back, mm-hmm. and then he can finally do it. And then he tries it for the first time with a living creature. He tries it with a bird, and we just see him trying and failing and trying and failing, and it's been really eating at him. So we kind of get the idea that, first of all, someone's trying to kill Dumbledore, and second of all, that Draco has this sinister plan that he's not telling anyone about that is really tormenting him. So it kind of all comes together yeah. in this scene where he's able to get Death Eaters from... The unknown location, which we learn is Borgen and Burks, which is like this kind of creepy. Do we learn shop. that in the movie? Yeah, he says it really like okay. quickly, kind of in a 
one offline. I was able to mend it, and it has a sister in Borgen and Burks. And we actually, in the movies, we never know why it's broken. But in the books, we find out or that uh, Peeves broke it. Peeves broke it, Peeves, which we don't even have Peeves yeah, in the movie. Um, yeah, we don't have Peeves in the movie. Um, but, yeah, it it's really kind of an ingenious... Well, like even Dumbledore's like, oh, I wouldn't, I didn't yeah, think that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so like Dumbledore's like legitimately impressed with mm-hmm. with Draco, um, which is weird. Being literally, seemingly on your deathbed, being impressed with someone who's about to murder you or but who intends to murder you. We learn why Dumbledore is able to be so nonchalant in this yep. scene. Not even until the next book right. or the next movie can we mm-hmm. figure that out. So, ugh, so good. The storytelling is just fantastic is. in this one. Um, Dumbledore instructs Harry to hide as Draco arrives, revealing that he had been chosen by Voldemort to kill Dumbledore. Dumbledore lets Draco disarm him of the Elder Wand, which we don't know it's the Elder Wand at this point. So let's not read that little aside in the middle um, of this. Yes. Um, and tries to kill the Headmaster. However, he is unable to bring himself to do it, and Snape soon arrives underneath telling harry to be quiet goes upstairs and he casts the avada kedavra curse instead killing dumbledore and blasting him off of the astronomy tower as bellatrix conjures the dark mark into the sky and this scene is exactly how you picture it when you read the book i mean it's just bone chilling snape this man who we do not know his mm-hmm. allegiance is he on Dumbledore's side is he on Voldemort's side both mm-hmm. Dumbledore and Voldemort trust Snape with their lives so whose side is he and- on and he goes up to that tower Dumbledore looks him in the eyes and says Severus please and Snape kills and him. we don't know why he says Severus please. oh my god I just got full body chills because I did too literally yeah literally it's like oh my oh it's like the most a heart-wrenching scene because this is you know for the first time reader or the first time viewer you're like oh my gosh Dumbledore was wrong about something you think that Dumbledore is like this perfect all-knowing man and for the audience it cements the fact that Snape has always been on the other side yeah uh it's it's so heartbreaking and harry is underneath the astronomy tower looking up through like the slots in the mm-hmm. stairs and can only sort of see what's happening yep. and that's how he watches and- snape kill dumbledore it's just oh my gosh this scene although i do wish that it was the proper astronomy tower battle like the, how we get in the book mm-hmm. i think that that particular scene of snape killing dumbledore is done perfectly yeah and I don't know this for a fact, but I suspect that either Alan Rickman told David Yates to stylize the falling, like how Dumbledore fell Mm -hmm. the way he did because of um, Die Hard, because Alan Rickman falls very similarly from Yakatomi Plaza. Um, Like if you look at- I've never seen Die Hard. Well, I'll show you the clip. Okay. But if you look at the clips side by side, it's a very similar fall. Really? And I don't know if if he told David Yates about that or if David Yates was just a fan of Die Hard. Mm. But um, you don't think it can be a coincidence? You think it has to have been inspired? No, by I Die think Hard. it has to be inspired. Okay. Because it, it's it's too uncanny. It's very it's a very similar fall. Um, 
And I mean, Alan Rickman's in both movies, mm-hmm. so I, I just think it's I think it's one or the other. But anyways, um, dark mark into the sky. Harry attempts to curse Snape, but Snape overpowers him and reveals that he is the half blood prince. He says, "You dare use my own spell against me?" Because Harry tries to set them some for him. Yep. Harry returns to the school along with Hagrid to find the staff and the students mourning Dumbledore as they stare at his corpse. Which is just so dark. Mm-hmm. Um, Harry walks up to the body and strokes Dumbledore's hair, takes the locket they had recovered from uh, the cave, and puts his hand on Dumbledore's heart as Ginny sits beside Harry and confronts him as he cries. Comforts him. Comforts him as he cries. Hermione starts crying, and soon McGonagall, and soon Luna, Ron, Madame Pomfrey, and everyone else except Harry and Ginny raise their wands into the sky and make the dark mark in the sky disappear. Which... So basically how this scene looks is they're not casting spells at the dark mark to make it disappear. They all just hold up their lit wand, like the Lumos spell, to like light the tip of your wand. Mm-hmm. None of them say Lumos, but they all hold up their lit wands into the air, um, which is just looks like a beautiful vigil mm-hmm. for someone who's passed. Um, and I think that the way it looks in the movie is that as they do that, it pans up as they see the lights emanating from their wands, and it pans up to the dark mark in the sky, which is slowly and slowly fading and fading and fading until it vanishes. And I don't think that that was supposed to imply that they were casting some kind of spell at the dark mark to make it go away. I think it was more of an artistic decision to symbolize the fact that, you know, love overpowers evil, which is kind of the overarching theme and takeaway motif of these books and movies. And I just think that's a beautiful way to symbolize it, that something evil happened to Dumbledore, who was a, you know, hero of the story and something he was killed. Mm-hmm. And it seems like the most dark, evil moment of the entire series. And the dark mark is a symbol of darkness and evil. So the fact that these students and staff can show their love for the headmaster and this, you know, wand lighting vigil, if you will, is enough to overpower evil. I just think that it's a... I love that. Yeah. That was not in the book. Mm-mm. That's the only thing that they added that I was like, wow, that's... Really beautiful, really actually. Beautiful. Yeah. Um, we literally have... I'm just going to read this next line as, as the last line. Okay. Um, do, 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 where was it? Hater... Hater. (laughs) Harry later reveals to Ron and Hermione that the locket Horcrux was a fake. The locket contains a message from R.A.B. stating that he has stolen the real Horcrux with the intent of destroying it. So, we've done a lot of comparing to the book in this um, synopsis. So I think we're going to skip that. Yeah, I feel like I really um, have been able to let out all of my anger. <laughs> yeah, um, I think, uh, let's see, let's let's get some... Hey everyone, welcome to Kudubadu. It's the podcast within a podcast where cool dudes talk bad dudes. The cool dudes that we are mentioning here, of course, are Aaron and I. And the bad dudes today, we will have to find out who they are. Let's discuss. Who are the villains of this movie and how do they hold up to the villains of the previous movies? So obviously it's 
Draco. I think Draco. This is... Oh my gosh. <laughs> Draco's character development mm-hmm. is so good in this movie and book. Because this is the book slash movie where he becomes a villain at the highest capacity you can be to become a Death Eater. Mm-hmm. But he also becomes more sympathetic than he's ever been. Right. Which is just so fantastic how that was written. I think Draco, Bellatrix, and Fenrir Greyback. Yeah, Voldemort's not even in this movie, actually. Yeah. Um. Yeah, let's, let's think about that. I mean, Snape. Snape, don't you think? yeah. 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 Put Snape in there too, so yeah. Um, Draco and Snape. I think they're my number ones. This is like. Let me. Well, I need to look at the list. So as the as the list oh, stands but... right now, we have number one: oh. Umbridge, Bellatrix, Vold- Voldemort, and Lucius. Number two, which Vol- is from the last book, right? Maybe. Um, number two: Wormtail, Voldy, and Junior. Barty Crouch. Jr. Barty Crouch Junior. Number three: Lockhart, Voldemort, Malfoy. Number four, Pettigrew, Snape, and Malfoy. And number five, Snape, Quirrell, Voldemort, and Malfoy. Mm. I think it goes number one. I I just, like, Umbridge is iconic, but... Oh my gosh, but... Do you know what? If we're talking about in terms of who the most evil villains mm-hmm. are, I would put them at number... I wouldn't put them at number one. Because I don't think that Snape and Draco are more evil than Umbridge. But, if we're talking about in terms of who are the most interesting villains, who, like, are the most, who, like, who are the best to, whose characters are the most interesting mm-hmm. and whose arcs are the most interesting and them being villains is the most interesting, I think they would be number one. So we have to decide how we're doing this. I, are we I, ranking them in terms of badness? I like or are we ranking them in terms of intriguing I like I like the intriguingness okay. because I always think a villain is better if they all, if you can kind of see yourself in their shoes yes. if they are sympathetic if you're evil there's someone much more dynamic do you know what Umbridge di- is yeah. very one-dimensional yes. she's just bad yes yeah, so you know the new number one is Draco Snape and then you have the one-dimensional ones like Bellatrix and Fenrir and Finny Boy, <laughs> Fenrir. So the list as it goes now is Drake, Snake, Bellatrix, Fenrir as number one, and then I'm not going to reread them because nothing else changed. They just all shifted down one. Yes. Um. Wow. Kudu Tata. Kudu Tata. What's up, everyone? Welcome to Kudu Dada, the podcast on a podcast where cool dudes talk defense against the dark arts teacher. I am your host, Aaron Weiss, and I am joined by fellow cool dude, Erica Weiss. Let's see. Let's take a look at this week's defense against the dark arts teacher, Severus Severus Snape. Um, in terms of... Okay, so this is actually going to be very interesting book to movie yes because we don't actually see snape teach defense against the dark arts at all in the movie right but we do see it in the book and what he teaches harry about defense against the dark arts in the book in this in um half-blood prince is he teaches him um um non-verbal spells Mm -hmm. 
mm-hmm. how to cast a spell without having to say anything out loud. And this is very crucial um, as the story continues to unfold. It's like a very important lesson for Harry. Um, but it's interesting because Snape ends up teaching Harry a lot more about potions than he teaches him about defense against the dark arts in this book. Yep. Without even knowing he's teaching Harry about potions. Because right. he doesn't know that Harry has his old textbook. Mm-hmm. So, this is interesting. This is the first time that Snape actually teaches Harry potions. Because basically all along Harry is like not learning anything in potions class because Snape is such an awful teacher. Mm-hmm. But, it's interesting. This is like the book where and- Snape is the best teacher, but not because... Do you know what I mean? It's just really... In my mind... It's interesting. In my mind, he goes to... Between Fake Moody and Lockhart. I was thinking of putting him between Harry Potter and Fake Moody. I think he could really go in either place. The thing is... mm, Do you know what? Moody teaching him how to block the Imperious Curse... ...is probably more important than Snape teaching him um, nonverbal spells. So, yeah. you're right. Fake Moody goes before him. So. <laughs> Snaps. <laughs> uh, so, number one, we have Lupin. Number two, Harry Potter. Number three, Fake Moody. Number four, Snaps, a.k.a. Severus Snape. Number five, Lockhart. Number six, Quirrell. And number seven, Umbridge. And honestly, Lockhart at number five just seems too high. But when you consider Quirrell and Umbridge. Yeah. It's it's just true. Yeah. So, how are we going to score this movie? I think, the, or so the list right now reads, number one, Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban with a 9.5. Number two, Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone with an 8.25. Number three, Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix with 8.25. Oh, those are both tied for a second. Um, number, in third, we have Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets, 7.5. And Harry Potter with Goblet of Fire at number five with a 6.5. I would give this movie, do you know what? I just really enjoy this movie, but there is enough about it that grinds my gears so much. It's hard for me to give it too high of a score. I might be inclined to give it a 7.5. Okay. Um, I'm going to give it, I'm going to give it a 7. Okay, that's fair. So it's just below Chamber of Secrets. Honestly, Uh, that makes sense. And it's above Goblet of Fire, which also makes sense. Yeah. So that makes it an average of 7.25. So the book... Right now, at number one, we have Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban at 9.25. Number two, Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone with 8.75. Number three, Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire with 8.5. Number four, Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets with 8. And number five, Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix with a 7.5. I would give this book... It's... You know what? I want you to go first so I can have a second to think about where I would put it. I'm giving this book a 9.5. Uh, okay. I think it is very well paced. It is one of the longer books, but it doesn't feel like it's a longer book because, especially like. It's it, actually right in the middle of all seven books. This is the fourth 
longest and the fourth shortest. Oh, interesting. Yeah. But, yeah, it's it's still thick compared to the first three. Yes, it is. And um, I think that the pacing is so much better than the previous two books. Um, I think that, like, especially compared to Order of the Phoenix, like, that first half of the book is so slow. Yeah, oh my um, gosh. But right off the bat in uh half-blood prince you have things happening you have interesting things happening and you know what let's talk about what's interesting at the beginning of that book because the first scene is the muggle minister of magic yep and the 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 muggle prime minister oh my gosh i'm so funny yes the muggle prime minister and the uh you have slughorn not slughorn uh, uh cornelius fudge cornelius fudge who has just been sacked yeah chatting with him yeah which is an awesome scene. And that is actually when we get a little more insight about Kingsley, mm-hmm. which Aaron and I have been having a real moment with Kingsley recently, like kind of fathoming how cool he is as a character. Um, and the fact that he is a triple agent. Were we talking about that in the last episode, actually? Or did we not talk about that in the last episode? I don't think we've talked about it on podcast, but... Can we just give a quick Oh, little... wait, no, we did. We, we did. did. We did. We definitely okay. did. I remember. Because it's just too good not to talk about how he's like the true triple agent of this like series he's Mm -hmm. fantastic so anyway um that's the first chapter and then the second chapter we're still not with harry yet the second chapter is um bellatrix and narcissa going to snape's house and doing that whole um unforgivable no not unforgivable unbreakable vow thing yep and then the third chapter we're finally with harry so it's one of those rare instances where we have multiple chapters in a row that are not from Harry's perspective, Mm -hmm. you know, where Harry's doesn't even know either of those scenes were happening as they were happening. So it's, it's just a really unique when I feel like the formula of the Harry Potter books had been getting a bit repetitive. mm -hmm. We start off and it's summertime. We're at the Dursleys. Uh, Harry's there. He's, angsty wanting to escape wanting to get back to hogwarts this book does not start like that and it's a very refreshing um beginning to the book yeah and i mean that's part of the reason why i have it at a 9.5 yeah. uh, but like i said the pacing's really good you like the the mystery's really good it's not like a monster of the week type thing um it i i think all of the main characters grow exponentially in this book, maybe more than the previous five books. Oh, yeah. Um, this is... We get great character development for Harry, for Ginny, for Draco, for Snape, for mm-hmm. Ron, for Hermione. I mean, yeah. It's, yeah. This... Yeah. Wow. For, for Voldemort, even? For not necessarily, Voldemort. like... Him as Voldemort developing as a character, but we get his backstory as mm-hmm. an audience, which helps a lot. Which, you know which what? makes him multi-dimensional. Like, he's not yeah. just one-dimensional character. He's not just like an evil like being anymore. You you see like kind of his rise and fall and rise again. Like you and know what I you mean. You know like, what? This is very interesting, and I've kind of forgot about this. We even learn about how he was conceived. Mm-hmm. His mom was a witch, a very bad witch, couldn't do magic well at all. Was able to make a love potion, though. And 
basically get this muggle man that she was in love with who didn't even know that she existed. She was able to feed it to him over the course of several years. Pretty much raped him. Yeah. Make him believe that he was in love with her too. You know, be married, have a child. And it was while she was pregnant with Tom Riddle that she told him, Mm -hmm. like she stopped giving him the potion and told him, look, I'm a witch. I've been giving you a love potion, but look at how happy we are. Look at our life together. And of course he loved her because that's awful. And um, so, yeah, Voldemort wasn't even conceived out of love, you know, which I think is kind of um, J.K. Rowling's way of showing that, like, at no point in Voldemort's life has he been showing love. Yeah. Not even when he was being made. Yeah. So, I, do you know what? Wow. I need a score from you. I'm going to give it a nine. Heck yeah. So it's going to be tied with Prisoner of Azkaban, but because I'm doing the list, I'm putting it above it. <laughs> Thanks for letting me talk that out. I really was torn about where I wanted to put it, but all of those details that we just talked about, that's a, honestly, this is a perfect, um, book before the finale. Penultimate book. Penultimate book. There it is. It's perfect. It's, yeah, it, it is untouchable to me. And I'm... I'm one, like, no matter what the media is, if it if it's a book, if it's a movie, a video game, a TV show, like, if it's a, in a series, a lot of times I am a bigger fan of the book or episode or whatever coming second to last because mm. so much happens. Yeah. And usually, and a lot of times the finale of whatever it is can be a letdown a lot yes, of times that's so i'm not true. saying every time but, but it's easier for the finale to be a letdown than for the penultimate installment to be a letdown right. mm-hmm. that's so true because it's the penultimate installment that gears you up for the finale so it's the one that builds the excitement yeah it's the one yeah wow I, I just had a real moment with this book just now like, I'm fathoming things I've never fathomed before, so thank you for that. You're so welcome. And you know what? What? Pretty soon, I... Th- mm, we have we have some road trips coming up, some, some trip trips. Maybe we should start listening to the books again, because it's been about two years since we started listening to them. We started listening on our first trip back from Corridan, I think. Oh my gosh, which was November of 2020? Yep. Wow. Well, we didn't finish it, though, for... We took our time with that, because we finished it well, on yeah. the way back from our honeymoon, right? Yeah. Which was in October yeah. of 2021. Yeah. Wow, we took our time with that. Good for us. Well, we only listen to them in the car, mostly. That's true. It's just that when I am physically reading the Harry Potter books, I turn into, like... A little gremlin. A gr- just like- yes, literally a gremlin, and I will read through them in about a month. The fastest I've ever read through the Harry Potter books is 21 days, which is ridiculous. That's too much to be reading. Yeah. Like, I shouldn't have done that. But, um, yeah, I just think that's cool. We really took our time with that. I don't think I realized that. We should start listening to them again. I agree. So, what did you think about the book and movie Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince? We'd like to know your personal rankings, your thoughts, opinions, 
Um, if you could email us those at wisecastpodcast at gmail.com. Also, if you are still listening, to prove that you are still listening, email us um, whether you think that Snape is a good guy or a bad guy. Are you pro-Snape or are you anti-Snape? There's been a lot of anti-Snape sentiment lately, and I don't appreciate that. So, for now, <laughs> we are your host, Aaron and Erica Weiss, and we will see you next week. Toodles! Wingardium Leviosa.